It's coming home. It's coming. Football's coming home. It's coming home. It's coming home. Football's coming home. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. It is Jason Jaybird Goldstein here for another episode of the Bird's Eye View. Fresh off England's win over Denmark to move on to the Euro Finals. What a game this was. And like I said, it's coming home. It's coming home. Oh my God, what a goddamn game that was. Uh, really fantastic. First off, England, they get their first goal of the tournament on an absurd free kick by Domsgaard. Just unbelievable. Arguably the shot of the tournament. It was that much of a rocket, that much of a missile. And Denmark, all of a sudden, is up one nothing. England, their first time chilling all tournament. Obviously, that's the first goal they've conceded. They showed no fear. They come back, rebound, still get on the attack. Nine minutes later, they have a really pressing attack, which eventually leads to an own goal and one-to-one at the half. Uh, both sides had some really good attacks throughout the second half, but no one was able to finish a chance, and it led to us going to extra time. And, you know, England with their history, semifinals, extra time losses. Oh, God, history was beginning to creep up on them once again. And... All of a sudden, a questionable penalty is called in the box. Something, I'm not sure if that was a penalty or not, but uh, I really don't know. It was a really tough call. Uh, Raheem Sterling, I believe he flopped there, but he also is a smaller guy. is more likely to fall. Regardless, uh, England was getting a penalty after the VAR review. And again, okay, England, they've had histories in... In the semifinals before, missing PKs, missing big shots. Sure enough, they missed the PK, but there's Harry Kane on the rebound to give England the 2-1 to lead. And from there, the English do not look back. They take it 2-1. to They move on to the finals, and the English can rejoice. The people in that crowd were just full of tears, full of happiness. So much energy throughout. Everybody was happy. Thrilled to finally go to a finals. They've been waiting 55 years to go to the finals of just a major tournament. And finally, they are in the finals. What a run for England it's been. What a shot from Harry Kane. What a game. What resiliency down one nothing to not even be phased. And it's, it's coming home. It's coming home. What a performance from England. I got to say, it has been fun watching these games. I went to an English pub for the England-Ukraine game and watching that game with a big English fan base. It was awesome. Again, ever since France got out, who I originally had winning the tournament, uh, I'm on the England bandwagon. I want to come home. I'm rooting for my former co-workers. Let's go England, baby, because it's coming home. Obviously, they're playing Italy, uh, who had a hell of a game against Spain. First off, an unbelievable goal to go up one nothing from Italy. And all of a sudden, it looks like they're maybe going to win this game. They have a one nothing lead late. But Spain, who's been playing good all game, had multiple good attacks, just was not able to finish. Finally, they get a great attack on the counter late, and they equalize the game. And shocker, here we go. Another Spain game goes to extra time. 
I mean, that was dumb. If you, you, the smart move to do in this game would have been the bet on a draw because every Spain game has been going to extra time or potentially PKs. And, of course, this one goes to PKs. And unlike versus Switzerland, the Spanish cannot escape as England gets the victory, pulling off a, yet another close game. They're, even though their defense was not as strong as it's been in this tournament, they got the win over Spain. They held them to just one goal. They were bend, don't break. And the, and the Italians are going back to the finals. A redemption story after missing the 2018 World Cup. And now here we go. We have England versus Italy in the finals. And I've been singing It's Coming Home. I got to say it then. I got England winning this, of course, because it's coming home. It's coming home. Football's coming home. That was, so that was today's action. That was yesterday's action. Uh, moving on to yesterday now in the NBA Finals. The Phoenix Suns, they win game one. A dominant effort from Chris Paul. 32 points, nine assists. And Chris Paul had zero points in the first quarter going off in that third quarter. For a guy, we've been waiting to see him get to the NBA Finals for so long. Personally, always been one of my favorite guys in the NBA. So glad to see CB3 in the finals. Glad to see him ball out. Now the favorite to an MVP. Hope he does. But obviously Devin Booker has things to say about that. He added 27 points. These guys might be battling each other for MVP. And I talk about Chris Paul having that dominant third quarter. Uh, it's just like the Nuggets series. The third quarter is where all the difference was made. Uh, although I will say for the Bucks, credit to Giannis because he was listed as doubtful for this. Uh, people didn't know really when he was going to come back. And yet he ends up playing. And it looked like he was the most athletic person on the court. Yeah, uh, there, there was definitely an issue of Giannis uh, needing the sh he needed to shoot a little more. He only shot the ball 11 times. But, hey, he still got to the free throw line 12 times. He had 20 and 17. He looked like he had his athleticism back. So that was really impressive to see Giannis play this play this game after being listed as doubtful for most of this series. And look, even though he looked great yesterday, uh, he still only did take 11 shots, Giannis. If the Bucs are going to want to win this series, Giannis is going to have to take over games the way he can. Obviously, the Suns' defense, DeAndre Ayton and Jay Crowder, inside, they gave, definitely gave Giannis a tough time. They didn't make life easy for him, despite him looking back to being his normal self. And he did get to the free throw line 12 times, hit seven of that, seven of them. So good free throw percentage for Giannis. But at the end of the day, He's, one of the top, he's supposed to be one of the top five players in this world. You want to win the NBA Finals, you got to take over a game, Giannis. Take over the way Chris Paul did in that third quarter. Had Giannis been able to do that, it might have bridged the gap entering the fourth quarter, and this game might have been winnable for the Bucs. This series rests on Giannis' shoulders, and the Bucs will go as far as they can carry him. And it all depends on really how healthy he is. He looked healthy enough yesterday where he was scoring, he was rebounding, he was making athletic plays, but now I need to see Giannis take over a game. At the end of the day, that's really it. He's a great player, and he looked great. His game looked to be there, but take over Giannis. Middleton and Drew Holiday have been good compliments this series. This entire, excuse me, this entire playoffs. Middleton's a great number two. He stepped up big in the absence of Giannis in games five and six, as did Drew Holiday. But these aren't the guys you're relying on to win you the NBA Finals. These are your number two and number three guys. You got to rely on Giannis to be that guy. And maybe Middleton gives you a 30-point game here or there, but he cannot be the guy. 
Uh, yeah, I think Giannis will will play well enough, get the Bucks a couple of games, but in the end, I'm saying Suns in six. Moving on now to the MLB, and this was just a rough weekend series for the Yankees. Really rough. Uh. And look, now I'll be honest, it's now time I'm worried about Garrett Cole. Look, I'm not one of those people who are going to sit there and say, oh, he was only good because he was using substance or whatever. He was still the number one overall pick, and I think he's still a good pitcher. He had a couple of really good years in Pittsburgh, and if you look at his RPM, the way it went up in Houston, clearly he was not using the same stuff in Pittsburgh he was in Houston, where he was still pitching really well in Pittsburgh. That being said, I'm definitely worried if Garrett Cole now is going to lift that $324 million contract. If he's not able to use what he was using to give him that advantage, he might just be a good pitcher, but not the guy who was getting $30 million a year. And I wrote as Chapman. Right now, he's a lost cause, and that has to do with the sticky stuff. I mean, you know with Chapman, control's always been an issue with him. And now that he can't really use anything to grip the ball, his control's just been all over the place. And honestly, I really hope he can fix himself because it's been a really brutal last couple outings for Aroldis Chapman after that great start to the year. And he made the All-Star game Chapman somehow. Um, I guess it ha- I, I, I did say on this show he should be an All-Star due to that start. Although after the Mets game, I, I rescinded that. Obviously, the voting came out slightly after the Mets game, so he still did make it. But, yeah, it's... Without the sticky stuff, Chapman right now seems to be a lost cause. Even last night... He did, yeah, he did good by Ron, but he still loaded the bases. And, you know, I was worried that we might blow the sleeve of the Mariners with him. And by the way, I'm seeing stuff about people who want to trade Aaron Judge, and they're saying, oh, the Red Sox, they traded Mookie Betts, and look, you know, look where they are. Look, the Red Sox, their front office has proven to be a lot more competent than our front office in recent years. Uh, you know, I don't know if our front office would be able to rebound or even get the right package back for Aaron Judge. Aaron Judge is still a top five player in the league. Like I want to keep him as much as possible and get him playing well for this team. Uh, look, I'm not gonna say I'm not gonna give thoughts on my on my state of this team. I have my thoughts on Chapman right now, uh, but the, uh, when it comes to giving my thoughts on the state of the team, I'm gonna wait till the All Star break to see how we are. And look, right now, obviously, we had a great start yesterday. Boyd had five hits. DJ had three hits in the first three innings. We scored 12 runs. We had 18 hits off Justice Sheffield, who. Thank God we traded. Wish maybe it was someone other than Paxton, but oh man, he is. Ugh. Uh, but look, at the end of the day, after winning this, we have to go four and two at worst. I'd love to go five and one. Uh, we'll see. I'll give my picks come the All Star break. Uh, speaking of the All Star break, I'm gonna give my reaction to the selections quickly. So for the. Uh, you know, I liked it for the most part. I was pretty much good with the starters. I did have Max Muncy starting over Freddie Freeman in the National League, although I, both of them making it. And I had Michael Brandley starting over Teoscar Hernandez in the American League. I actually not have Hernandez in my initial all-star roster. So uh, that's something I missed a few reserves on. A couple of the reserves I missed, and I was honestly surprised about them. I was surprised that Walsh went in over Yuli Guerriol, although I'm glad they did it because Walsh is having a breakout year. Gary All, they've had, the Astros have enough players, you know, put in the Angel. Uh, I'm surprised they did three DHs. Uh, I honestly thought Berrios would have been the Twins representative over Nelson Cruz. Uh, I'm just really surprised they did a three DHs. That's really it. 
And uh, I was surprised. I thought it was going to be one of Adonis Garcia, one of Joey Gallo. I didn't think both those guys were going to make it. Granted, I thought the other outfielder would have been Mitch Haniger, and he would have made it over the other and also Kikuchi. But, hey, I'm not complaining because those guys, those teams need a representative. And I was nearly perfect with the reserves. I did just think that they should have had McMahon the you know, over Cronesworth and have no Herman Marquez, especially with how deep the National League's pitching was. And Justin Turner not being in was a crime. I think he maybe should have been in over Ozzy Albiez. But like, Turner not missing the All-Star game is a crime. Uh, I was really surprised, you know, especially with no Marquez, adding uh, Freddie Peralta from the Brewers, Max Scherzer, Walker Buehler, all three pitchers who I'm stunned are missing the All-Star game. And I love Shoney Otani as a pitcher and a hitter. Uh, now it's time to move into who is hot and who is not. So the first team in who is hot is the Milwaukee Brewers. Uh, I mean, yeah, they they just lost back-to-back -back games, but they still won 11 games prior to that. Uh, only giving up more than four runs just once in the in the last 13 games. They're being anchored by the Cy Young, the Cy Young candidacy trio of Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, and Freddie Peralta. Not to mention Josh Hader, who's been arguably the best closer in baseball this season. This Brewers team is red hot. They have the keys to success. And yeah, the offense could be a little bit better. It seems to be picking itself up. Yelich is starting to get his on-base percentage back up there. So yeah, the Brewers are red hot right now. And I think they have a, if, if this offense can turn itself around, they're a legitimate World Series contender. Uh, yeah, this Brewers team, they're legit right now. Uh, although the team that is also in the hot category, so I believe is the best team in the National League, and that's the Los Angeles Dodgers. That's like, kind of still like the Brewers. They do a back-to-back -back losses. But before that, they had won nine games in a row. They got on the heels of the San Francisco Giants, and they've gotten a lot healthier since then. Uh, look, they only have three guys in the All-Star game, and Mookie Betts, Chris Taylor, Max Muncy. Uh, Justin Turner, I just said, he should have been an All-Star. Uh, even Will Smith had a case to be an All-Star reserve. Obviously, the Trevor Bauer dilemma, uh, that needs to be figured out. That just seems to be pretty ugly. We don't really know what's going on with Trevor Bauer. Uh, but, yeah, it seems to be pretty bad. Uh, if he comes back, though, uh, he's, that's a legitimate foursome of him, Kershaw, Walker Bueller, both guys who could have been all-stars as well, and Julio Urias, who's been fantastic this year. Plus this bullpen, the Dodgers, they're playing like the team that we know them to be. Uh, who is not hot? How about the Chicago Cubs? At the time I'm recording this, they've lost 11 in a row. They've scored two or fewer runs in seven of the games. They've only get, they, One of those games, they had three runs. One of the games, they've had four runs. And they had two games, they gave up 15 runs and lost, losing 15-10 to 10 yesterday and losing 15-7 to 7 against the Brewers. They scored seven runs in the first inning. After that, zero runs and lost that game 15-7. to 7. They had a really hot start, much like last season. And I was thinking, okay, the Cubs might be back. But now they're in a complete slide. The offense, which started off extremely hot, has cooled down. Chris Bryant's in a major, major slump. Javi Baez is either a home run or nothing. Anthony Rizzo's not been the player that we've known him to be. They're getting no offensive production out of the outfield. And even Wilson Contreras is having a down season right now. Uh, the rotation has been shaky all year long given the fact they lost most of their starters, trading you Darvish. Uh, Jay Garrietta has been shaky. Uh, Kyle Hendricks has not been the guy that we've known him to be the last few years. And it's been rough for the Cubs, who are now looking like they're going to be sellers. 
And obviously with guys like Javi Baez, Anthony Rizzo, Chris Bryant, all in expiring contracts, all the Cubs with them currently being in the non-hot category, going to start selling. According to sources, they're already looking to sell Craig Kimbrell, who could possibly be the hottest commodity on the trade market. Also in the non-hot category is the Cubs' 2016 World Series opponent, the Cleveland Indians, who have now lost nine games in a row. They're 0-7 in July. They've lost 11 out of 12 games, and they just got no hit by the Rays, albeit it's one of those seven-inning games. It still meant they got swept in the doubleheader. And for the Cleveland, injury, Cleveland Indians, they had a hot start, but the injuries of their rotation have really caught up to them now. This is a team that's, the past few years, not been a very good offensive team, but consistently have had one of the top rotations in baseball. They're without their top two stars in Shane Bieber and Aaron Cervalli. Zach Plesic was their number three guys hurt. And because of the rotation injuries, this team is in shambles right now and a complete free fall. Look, they're, they're a pretty damn good team, the Indians. Jose Ramirez, one of the best offensive players in all of baseball. They've had, uh, they've had Fran Reyes, who's been a good offensive player in and out of the lineup. And that's really it. The offense has not been there as it hasn't been all season long. And now without the rotation and the injuries, this team is severely, severely hurt and struggling right now. Look, you look at the way the offense has performed in recent games, it's not doing this injured pitching staff any favors. I just mentioned they got no hit today by the Rays. They scored just one run in the 14-inning doubleheader. And other than that, it's been consistent two-run, one-run, three-run efforts with the exception of losing 8-9 to nine in Monday's game against the Rays. It's just... Not good baseball from the Indians, and they're also in the non-hawk category. Uh, that's it for talking baseball. So now we're going to move on, and I'm going to go on to college football top five category. The top five Heisman winners that I've seen. Now, uh, this starts with my, with my uh, watching of college football. So the first year I started watching college football was the year Cam Newton won the Heisman. And Cam Newton is actually number five in terms of highs and winners I've seen. This is when he put himself on the map after years of being a backup at Florida and backing up Tim Tebow. Took over the starter for Auburn, a team that didn't have that high of expectations. He also had 4,200 total scrimmage yards, 15, 50 touchdowns, propelled himself to be the number one overall pick, gave himself the Heisman, and led Auburn to the national championship game. An unbelievable year for Cam Newton. My number four is the wide receiver winning Devonta Smith, the Ohio State Buckeye killer. And if a wide receiver is winning the Heisman, it obviously had to be a special, special year for him. Wide receivers don't just win Heisman. Wide receivers don't just win the Heisman Trophy all the time. No, he had to have a special year. He did 117 catches, over 1,800 yards, 23 touchdowns, historical numbers of the wide receiver position, and he stepped up in the biggest moment with that tremendous. 12-catch, 215-yard, three-touchdown game against Ohio State, all in one half. Yeah, that was pain. Number three is a fellow Crimson Tide, and that's Derrick Henry, a running back who won the Heisman. He had an unbelievable year. Bama nearly ran the table, winning the national championship that year. He had 2,200 yards, 28 touchdowns, basically video games numbers. And look, I've seen the Ohio State running backs, J.K. Dobbins, Ezekiel Elliott, Trey Sermon, do some amazing things. But what Derrick Henry did was just absolutely absurd. Number two is Lamar Jackson, who had the 5,000 all-purpose yards, 51 total touchdowns. 
He was much watched TV. Most of these guys were leading title contenders and, you know, go to the national championship games. Uh, Louisville did become a title contender that year, never made the playoff, but his season was no, but it wasn't Lamar Jackson's fault. His special year was one of the coolest we've ever seen by a player in college football, and that's why he deserves a Heisman Trophy, the top five, uh, number two spot. And number one is just Joe Burrow, who I think just had, honestly, the best season in college football history. 60 touchdowns, 5,600 yards, outdoing himself every week. He led the best team ever, an undefeated national championship season. Yeah, Joe Burrow definitely had the best season, not just that I've ever seen, but of all time. And again, everybody, that's my show. I want to thank everybody who supported the podcast thus far. Remember, go check out the Bird's Eye View podcast on Instagram for all my latest live episode releases. Go check out Bird's Eye View on Twitter for all my live reactions to games. Thank you, everybody, and have a great day. And just remember... Oh, my God.